Hey guys, welcome back to the Creative Nonsense Podcast. Today I'll be talking with Christian, aka Chopsolutely, about his writing process and other creative things, general working, and Twitch. Also, uh, the very first few minutes of this have video cut out uh, on Christian's side, but you can still hear the audio. So let's get into this week's episode. Hello. Hello. Wait, are you also wearing an SP7 shirt? Yeah, I thought it was uh, thought it was a good choice for today. That's pretty accurate. I just I've so, been so annoyed with my internet lately. I don't know if it's my side or your side. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're pretty good here most of the time. My old place, I went through about two years of having to do tech support to try and get everything to work, just like the minimal amount. And when things don't work, it gets really frustrating. Yeah, uh, I'm at my mom's house because it's like, I'm just hanging out with like family for like the first month of summer and they have like a bunch of construction going on around here and so they keep like messing with things and so internet will literally go out for like 30 minutes at a time sometimes or it'll just go at like a standstill. It sucks. Yeah, I used to work in utilities. Uh, I worked as a utility locator for like a couple years and so we'd go out and we'd locate these sites and people would see us touching the phone and cable boxes and they would come out and get really mad. Because they knew something was going to be happening. And they'd be like, so what What are you... I'm like, I don't... I'm just locating lines, man. It took me an hour to upload a PNG file the other day. So, like, I, I understand a bit. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty frustrating. Yeah. I was like, I just need to upload this one project. Just, like, this little piece. And my mom was like, why can't I watch anything on stream? And it was just sad. <laughs> yeah, I could go on for, like five hours about how messed up the internet infrastructure is oh, yeah. and how they overcharge people but uh it's so i guess bad. we won't go there so you mentioned that you wrote and self-published a fantasy book in college and you write mostly fiction yeah. and music yes so do you want to like talk about like your creative process with those things and like how you went about like coming up with like even like an idea for a fantasy book and like deciding to self-publish that uh, yeah, sure. I was 12 when I started, um, as any young, inspiring writer does. I wrote a one-page, uh, I guess, like, what I considered to be a book back then. Like, I did just a rough outline of a terrible fantasy scene, and it was bad, but I loved it. <laughs> and that was what I wanted to do. So, for the next five or so years, I kind of just theory shopped what I wanted to do in my head and then when I was about 16 or 17 I landed on what I wanted my book to look like mm -hmm. and I spent the next four or five years like planning out the world building and writing the book um and for me personally uh a lot of the process comes down to just making things happen mm -hmm. um I tend to procrastinate and you can't really do that when you're like your own boss for self-publishing yeah so a lot of it turned into me uh starting out and then having this great idea and then getting stuck at some sort of point and just sitting there for forever and I got to the point where I was uh pretty frustrated with my progress so I had to just sit down and like just start writing um and that was the big breakthrough for me I think that's pretty interesting how long did that take you in like total to like finish like the whole story probably about nine years in total to do the first book 
which isn't particularly like a long book, but I wanted to make sure that everything that lined up chronologically made sense. So I have the rest of the the books in that series outlined. I just don't have them written. Mm. So instead of writing one book, I was writing more or less like three at the same time. Just because I wanted everything to... I didn't want things to feel random. I didn't want things to feel like they just happened. I wanted there to be like a plan behind everything. And uh, yeah, so it it took me a long time. It took longer than it should have, but it it (laughs) did take a long time. That's what usually ends up happening with creative projects. You like plan for a certain amount of time and it just takes probably like three times what you generally expect. Yeah, um, there were a lot of times where I felt like I was making really good progress and then... like my word count or i'd look at my page count or wherever i was at and i would just be really disappointed and it's hard not to like just give up and walk away at that point i was working like 40 hours a week for almost minimum wage like living in my own apartment with a dude that i like barely knew so i was like pretty strong in the burnout phase at that point in my life but uh i don't know uh things kind of fell together for me that year um when i finally released it i kind of just that was the year that I was like, uh, I'm not going to procrastinate anymore, and I'm just going to go in and do this. And it happened. That's awesome. That's pretty motion- motivational for, like, next month, because, like, that's when I'm going to try and finally finish writing, like, the first book that I've written, because I've written, like, thirds probably in total of, like, four different books throughout the years since I was, like, I, I would say, like, 15 is when I, like, really started working on the first one. One of the books that, like is that's my most recent project. I actually started with like the original idea that's changed to like three different ideas when I was in like eighth grade. All of those are just like pieces of things that I never sit down and like actually finish. So I probably need to just power through something and stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I have like stacks of stuff that's all like ideas that are started and fleshed out and then like left there. In, in a box somewhere to to never touch again. Okay. I think it's just part of just being a writer is starting these projects and like getting into them and being like, I don't want to read this or write this. Not yet anyways. And you just shelf an idea for forever. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know what I want to happen in this part of the plot line and I can't get past that. And so like I could write like a scene over here, but then I can't figure out how to connect it. And then it's just like, what's the point right now? Then it just abandon everything <laughs> yeah and that's the hard part is the not so much the events but the space in between was the hardest part for me yeah like what conversation do these people have how does it sound natural and especially coming from me and at that time in my life i was not very social and i like i didn't go to public school i was homeschooled so uh, a lot of like passing conversation for me was really sporadic i would see people on like sundays and maybe on wednesdays the rest of the, of the time, I was just home by myself. So, like, the subtleness that you pick up in human communication uh, just wasn't there for me. And that was a huge, like, learning point for me that I don't think other people might have as much of an issue with. Like, the background conversations and how those relationships look, work and how uh, your relationships with acquaintances, maybe people that you're, like, friends with but not that great with. Um, I didn't have, like, a lot of that. So it was difficult for me to place together, like, what those relationships look like in real time without making them sound completely uh, non-sincere and illegitimate. I feel like I kind of get that because I don't have that many, um, besides, like, I, I interact with, like, my family on, like, a pretty regular basis, but it's, like, 
real life like friends I don't really interact with so I feel like I worry um especially in the play that I just wrote that I'm too internet-y with the way that I talk in a lot of my dialogue because I talk to like online friends a lot and I'm like is this how like people talk in the real world not on the online like internet world or in like my family inside joke world so it's just I'm still not sure <laughs> Yeah, you end up picking the culture from whatever you're around the most. So, like, as a kid that grew up and had pretty much just the internet, like, <laughs> there's been times where I've been in conversation with people and they've been like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't realize that, like, I'm not in a place where that's a meaningful method of communication right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I just gotta kind of, like, back out and take my loss. <laughs> <laughs> just always trying to bridge that gap between like normal culture and like the thing that I know like my family will talk about like the Grammys or something or like some pop artist or like some actor and I'm like I have no idea who these people are <laughs> yeah that's always been it for me especially too with my uh I don't really like movies that much I don't know why I can't really like put it into words but I have a really hard time like sitting and watching those movies so people will talk about popular movies or actors or actresses and it's just totally lost on me and dead information, and uh, to some degree with TV shows, too. I haven't owned cable in, like, 10 years, so, like, that kind of stuff uh, will we'll start to come up in conversation, and I'll realize how out of the loop I've really become. <laughs> Same. I watch a lot of movies that are, like, ones that I watched with, like, my mom or, like, my grandparents when I was, like, a kid, so it's, like, I watch, like, movies from the 90s, and I rewatch like, TV shows from the 90s and, like, the early 2000s. And so it's, like, every now and then I'll watch, like, a recent show, but I haven't had, like, a consistent, like, TV show that I've watched on television since probably, like, junior year of high school. So I've been out of touch for, like, five years, besides, like, the Marvel movies, or not the Marvel movies on Netflix, the Marvel TV shows on Netflix. If there's a new Daredevil, I'll watch it. Otherwise, new shows are just not my thing. I rewatch the same, like, six seasons of Gossip Girl, which is really just trash but it's like it's good background noise i watch a lot of background noise is one thing yeah i'm a big component for like tv shows that don't take a lot of thought and i think that's a big missing void in our market right now because so many yeah. people put so much emphasis on like something that either has a lot of action or has a lot of thought behind it and you're missing like the cheesy action movies of the 90s to some degree where, like, you don't have to pay attention too much and you still know what's going on. Because even the action movies now, they've decided they want to, like, throw more plot and uh, that sort of thing into. But then again, I don't really like movies, so I'm probably not the best person to be giving an opinion on this, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watch a lot of, like, passive stuff, though. So, like, I'll watch, like, intentionally, like, bad movies for the fact that, like, I know that there's, like, really, like, funny dialogue or the fact that I don't have to, like, pay super close attention to it. Um, I think that's why I watch so many, like, Twitch streams is because it's, like, really good, like, just passive background noise. It's not like a podcast where, like, you kind of want to be paying attention a little bit. But I just, I like having, like, random stuff back there. And, yeah, I feel like I've definitely drifted away from movies because of the fact that, like, you have to pay attention to the whole plot line for, like, that time. And I think I watched V for Vendetta a couple months ago, and I watched it in, like, seven different sittings. It's, like a two-hour movie and I split it up into like 15-minute sections because I just could not with the attention span. Yeah, that's uh, 
like people said for a while that radio was going to die out and never come back in any way. But now we've seen podcasts take off in a huge way that wasn't around like five years ago. Um, I just think there's, there's a bigger hole than people think in the market for, for passive entertainment. And like you said, with Twitch streams, I watch tr Twitch streams like every day because you can sit down and watch a chunk for like 25 minutes and have watched like parts that entertain you and still be able to get up and walk away. Like you don't have to start from a beginning and an end. You don't have to have like a set designated block of time where you have to invest into this. And uh, I think that's a really unique thing about our media culture, I guess. Cause yeah, there's a lot of just like standby time, I guess, in like the way that like our culture is. It's like, we spend a lot of time on like computers these days, like doing other work or there's just like, um, a lot of people talk about how, like, podcasts are, like, when you're, like, doing other things that, like, aren't really productive or are unproductive in, a, like, a different kind of way. So, like, you're doing, like, chores or, like, you're driving or, like, you're exercising or something where it's, like, you don't need that mental capacity so you can listen to a podcast. But then, like, things like Twitch streams are, like, great for if you're typing up something or if you're just, like, playing a game on the computer, you can just, like, listen to something in the background, which is... I think great about like that passive culture that we have, but it, it also means that we just have less attention for things that are like more in depth when we actually want them. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the speed of, of life that we're at now. Like my old job, um, I would be out on the field for any amount of time through the day. So there'd be times where I would be like working and be listening to eight hours of podcasts between like driving and working. Or there'd be times where like couldn't, and I think that with people working, especially now, a lot of people our age are working more often. We're beginning to see the, the shift away from people um, who just don't have the time for it. Yeah, that was definitely one thing that got me through um, my library job was the fact that I'd be shelving books for like two hours at a time, like just upstairs, and I'd just like blow through a podcast or something. Um, but then I'd get back downstairs and I'd have to go and sit at like my um, like desk job. And, like, I have to sit there for, like, probably another four hours in just silence. Um, especially if I'm, like, working alone during the summer. And that was, like, terrible. Because it's either that or... Um, I watched a lot of Crash Course videos. Because they were the only videos I knew with captions on them. And I could only, like, read them. Because we weren't allowed to have, like, earbuds or anything. So how do you try and, like, find time to... Because um, you work a lot, it seems like, these days. How do you find time to, like, do your other like fun things or to do um what is it like your fiction and your music um you have to like make and schedule yourself time in my opinion at least for me uh when i would be at work i'd think up this great story or i'd add on to my book or i'd think of this great song and i'd be pumped and i'd be yeah i'm gonna go home i'm gonna write this it's gonna be great and i'd get home and not do anything the rest of the night <laughs> so i found that like with my book in particular, since I finished that pretty thoroughly, I would be like, yeah, I'm not touching anything else. I'm just getting home and I'm writing until like 10 p.m. or something. Because I used to work from uh, 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. So I would get home at like 4 or 5. And then I would just write from then until midnight. And then I'd fall asleep at like 2. And I'd wake up at like 4 to go back to work. So back then, uh, it wasn't like an extremely healthy lifestyle either. So I don't know if I entirely recommend that, but like that was what worked for me at the time was just uh, if I'm going to do something, I have to block time off for it or I'll get distracted and just end up not doing it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, what is it? 
last semester was like a good example of me doing like the worst way of getting a lot of things done because I just like pretty much like woke up early in the morning, went to my classes, came back, slept, did work until probably like 2 or 3 a.m. And then, like, woke up again the next day at, like, 6. So it's, like, it was always, like, these, like, chunks of time where I was either, like, napping or just, like, working for, like, long hours and staying up. And on, like, days when I couldn't sleep in the afternoon, I was, like, dead. (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand that. There were times where uh, my roommate at the time would come home and I would just be asleep on the floor at some point in the apartment. Like, I was just doing something and then had just, like, I'd be out on the balcony. um, Because back then I used to smoke because I was an awful person. So... Um, I'd just be out on the, the porch. I, I would have been, like, smoking a cigarette or something, and I would just be passed out. Or I'd be passed out on the floor in the middle of the apartment. I've fallen asleep, like, on my computer. Uh, what is it, like, working on an essay or, like, working on a project? And then, like, my mom texts me in the morning, and she, like, are, are you awake? Like, you have class in, like, 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so, like, I have to, like, print out stuff and, like, run and just, like, book it because I just, like, crashed at, like, 3 a.m. or something, which is... Uh, exhaustion's fun. <laughs> yeah, I had one incident of that uh, at my work where I like didn't wake up on time, and it was a huge deal. So ever since then, like the past ten years, I always set my alarm like super early the day before because I'm just so paranoid about waking up late and not being able to make it on time. I have to set so many alarms, which is just because I'm like I'm I either like randomly fall asleep. And I forget to set my alarms, which is always a bad thing. But good thing, like, my mom usually, like, calls me if she doesn't hear from me in the morning. Because uh, she's, like, hyper-protective and, like, concerned because I live alone. Or I end up setting, like, 50 alarms. And they just go off repeatedly. And I sleep through, like, an hour and a half of them. And that's not great when you have to wake up for class or go to work. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I'm a really heavy sleeper. Uh, I tend to always catch my alarms, but I'm always afraid that I'll just sleep right through it. I need, like, at least a half hour of time to just recover from the stress of having to wake up in the morning before I, like, actually get up and do anything. I miss the days when... I I think it's been since, like, high school, since I've, like, actually taken time in, like, the morning to, like, readjust. Um, Because in high school, I used to wake up really, really early because I was a nerd, and I'd go to school, and I'd be in the library. And so I'd be in the library for, like, a good like two hours before school actually started so I'd either like study or like watch YouTube videos but I'd be like sitting there for like a long time having my tea just like enjoying the morning before I had to do like any actual like thinking which was really really nice back then but it also meant that I was up at like five back in high school. Yeah having switched from uh, recently a job where I was up at six o'clock every morning and worked till like 6 p.m to a job where most of the time I close or like work mid shifts is so much better. I'm just not great at mornings. So I asked you about like your fiction, but you write music or do you like play music or both? Both actually. I, uh, I can play piano, guitar, um, harmonica, a couple other like niche instruments. And uh, I write my own lyrics. Uh, and that's been a work in progress for like forever. Um, mostly because it's been difficult to find other people with a similar... Like, I want to add on to the sound and to the atmosphere that I want in my music. I don't want to, like, detract from it. But I do obviously need, like, other people in the process. Mm-hmm. 
so like putting people together for the band has been really difficult and uh just writing the songs and getting to a point where i don't hate them has been really hard <laughs> but you know taking steps yeah uh, finding other people to like play music with has been a really common problem that i've heard from like a lot of musicians just like finding like a time a space people who play something that's like different from like what you play and then just like getting it together in like a cohesive thing where everyone wants to play the same stuff is like all of those things are really hard so like what genre do you think you tend to like go towards i would say like an alt rock sort of feel like something from them something in between like brand new say anything taking back sunday sort of thing that sort of vibe i guess would be a good word for it maybe I took a lot of my inspiration from uh, Coheed and Cambria as well. They're uh, really into storytelling with their music. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I, I thought that was like, really awesome. He like writes books and comic books and puts them out outside the albums and has them correlate. So I wanted to do something like that for a while, but I, don't, I just don't think that's like in my skill set to do. Mm-hmm. But I would say that that's one of my big, big inspirations as well. That sounds really interesting, having something that, like, goes alongside. I originally wanted to put out the album the same time I put out my book and have, like, the songs be about the book. But it just didn't pan out that way for me. But I got a lot of respect for people who do it because it was incredibly difficult. Especially because I feel like where I make my art isn't where I want it to be on either side. So meeting them in the middle just kind of turns into a mess at some some point. I understand that, like, feeling like it's not whole without like the other stuff i read one book that had like at the very beginning it had a playlist that went along with like the chapters in the book and um what is it i've always liked that idea a lot of like making a playlist that like went along with my book and like the feeling of each chapter because i tend to write like that i tend to write like big chunks at a time listening to one song on repeat for several hours and so, like, it has a vibe that goes with it, but I've always really liked that idea. Yeah, I thought about doing that, too, but I felt, like, I had songs that I had in mind when I was writing Certain Seeds. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to, like, feel like I was taking away from the artist's experience and applying it to my own, like, without their permission. I don't know, it was a weird sense of, like, I don't think I should correlate this person's art with my art without their permission sort of thing. Interesting. You but that was had, just a personal conviction for me. You would have had interesting feelings about um, a project I did for, like, the end of the semester was, like, we read, like, seven different books, and we had to do a playlist of, like, two songs per book. Um, and the songs were, like, generally wildly different than the things that, like, we were attributing them to in the books. Because it was, like, these feelings of these characters are, like, this experience and, like, this song or, like, this feeling in this song. So that's probably conflicting with, like, those things. It's, like, that's not what this song's about or that's not what this is. But you can read it like that (laughs) is, like, what we had to argue. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's the interesting part about art is that it's kind of, like, partially how you interpret things. And I think that's what makes it special. I just don't think that it's my place to, like, put that in somebody's mind. Like, I don't I don't think I should be the person to plant that seed, if that makes sense. In my poetry workshop a couple months ago, there was uh, a lot of dark tones in one guy's poetry. He had a lot of things that were... Um, 
he didn't really realize the fact that there was a lot of like bodily imagery and everything was like kind of had like violent undertones to it. So it sounded like this really like, I don't know, he mentioned like a bloody apple one time and then like there were just a lot of things that seemed kind of gory in a lot of his poetry and he didn't realize until we brought it up into workshop and then it really made him like self-analyze about a lot of stuff he had said and he became like maybe like too aware of what he was writing and so that's another thing where like if people interpret it in a certain way that maybe the artist like thinks about like what did I actually mean by that which also conflicts (laughs) yeah I'm a bit of a uh rebel when it comes to this but that's why I'm like not 100% for everybody workshopping all the time and I feel like in school traditionally they teach you to do that because it's good to get feedback like most of the time it's really good but there are certain times where like you just receive too much feedback and it becomes too much information to parse through to create your like creative process Mm -hmm. um you just have too many variables to put in the equation to have anything come out because you have like 50% of people say that like certain things are good and 50% of people say they don't like things and it 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 becomes difficult at least for me uh, i know some people are really good with processing feedback and information um and applying that to their art form um but for me personally i got to the point like working on my book for example where i was getting advice from people when i had like the first chapter done and i was like looking for for some sort of feedback and it was just people either being like super nice to me for no reason and not giving me any sort of like real information or people trying to so hard to to critique things that i would like ask them why they critiqued something and they wouldn't be able to tell me why and it it became just like such a mess of information to to wade through that i was i had to like set everything aside and just write what i had and like i'm like i'll go back and revisit this later um i think that feedback to some degree especially in the internet world where you can like go post something online and immediately get feedback from somebody who doesn't give a shit whether or not what they say is accurate or whether or not what they say impacts a person and I feel like you should give people true feedback, um, but I, I also feel like people are like so accustomed to it now that people will be hurtful just because they can be, instead of like trying to aim for the objective of improving the art. They'll try and aim for the objective of making the person feel like a lesser artist than they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This kind of spun off from where I was going, but... Yeah, I, I've had that too, where it's like, um, what is it? I've, I've gotten feedback back from people who like just didn't like what I wrote. So they're like, I don't understand, like, the value of this is, like, a comment that I remember getting on, like, a poem once because they're like, I I don't understand, like, the value of, like, this story that you're trying to tell. And so I was like, does there have to really be a reason? I just wanted to. Um, Yeah. Not every piece of art has to be the best piece of art in its field. And not every piece of art needs to tell a story that you need to hear. But that's what makes it good. If there was just, like, an objective to be the best, there would just be, like, one poem and then nothing else would matter. But that's why art's special. Sorry, I got worked up. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, like, I I feel that. And so that's why I, like, I try and do comments that are more, like, um, especially in, like, poetry, I feel, like, sound of things or just, like, word choice, like, really gets me. So if, like, I can really, like, vividly, like, see something or feel something or, like, hear something or if, like, um just, like, the sounds that people, like, decided to, like, choose in, like, different words, if they really have, like, a pop to them, or, like, just an interesting sound, I try and, like, highlight them and be, like, this connects to, like, this in an interesting way, and, like, there's, like, an interesting flow here, and if they have, like, a continual, like, kind of sound that they're going towards, like, a stanza, like, breaks from that, I just, like, try and highlight it and be, like, it breaks from it here, 
and I'm not sure if you want it to break here or um, if not, and just like make them aware of like what is happening in there and what I think sounds interesting. And like, I try not to be like too hypercritical of like those kinds of things. Yeah, I think that's the key is to find out what the person was aiming for instead of like what you think they should be aiming for. Yeah. And I think that some people are really good about that. And I think that some people are also uh, not not so good. But I, I, I do think that like, as the internet opens up and artists talk more and more, it's important for us to like both support each other and criticize each other in ways that are meaningful. Mm. I just really love like Twitter artists because it's like everyone is like very open about the fact that like either they're having like money problems or like struggling with like inspiration or they're like, um, I'm not sure how I feel about like this piece or just like everyone can kind of talk like openly about like their art at like this point i'm like way too vocal on the internet so i think that it's like great for everyone to be like hyper venting about like their art <laughs> and i just really enjoy following a bunch of other artists and getting their perspectives on things yeah i didn't uh, have twitter for the longest time because i didn't understand it i'm just an old man who doesn't get technology and is on technology all the time um so back when i put out my book there wasn't really like a lot of avenues that i was on social media wise um, and so I thought it would be a fantastic idea to go to 4chan and, like, post a link to my book and talk about it. And that was not a good idea. Um, just a lot of people saying, like, really mean shit for no reason. Um, but I I've learned that it is, like, nice to have that sort of relationship with writers when originally it was hard to find them. Because, like, when I was in middle and high school, like, the people who were, were writers, like, didn't talk to anybody, and if you talked to them about their art, people would be, like, really, really hesitant to share, whereas now artists, I think, are a lot more free to share what they're working on and, like, what that looks like. Maybe that's part of just being older, but I also think that, like, with the internet, people seeing other people's work and being like, oh, my work doesn't need to be perfect in order for me to, like, start talking about it and working on it. I think that once people saw the, the, the starting line for them move closer to where they were at, in their heads, people have been able to put themselves there easier. Yeah, definitely being able to see, like, works in progress as, like, people, like, go through, like, the process is much better, I think, than just being able to see, like, oh, this book was released and not being, like, this person has been writing this book for, like, years and, like, seeing the fact that, like, they haven't put out anything that, like, they've been really happy with or, like, that was, like, a final product until now and, like, being able to know that, like, there is a process behind, like, finished products is just really reassuring. I read like all of Lin-Manuel Miranda's stuff like constantly and just see like the fact that he wrote like In the Heights like starting in like college years and how that took like until years after like actually get put on Broadway and then like Hamilton like the years from like where it started to like writing one song a year for two years and then finally realizing he needed to like speed up the process and like get more people involved. And, like, so I go through, like, his backlog of things and just, like, see that, like, this, everything takes, like, a very long time. And it's not, like, speed running. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to feel like, like, there's a constant struggle against the feeling of being unproductive as a writer. Mm -hmm. When in reality, like, things just take a really long time, a lot of the time. I had to, like, uh, self-edit and, and self-format uh, my book to go on Kindle just because it costs like four thousand dollars for an editor and i mean like nine dollars an hour <laughs> so i was like yeah i'm just gonna do this 
So I had to read it like five times and I had to go through and like pick out all the words that I felt like were not proper what I was looking for. And there's still like two or three typos that I've missed that I go back now and just feel awful about. But it's it just takes a lot of time to do those. It took me like a full probably 20 hours to go through and I had to like self input the uh, spaces in the paragraphs and stuff like that for uh, Kindle because the formatting is really weird. And just, just things like that that you think that wouldn't take, like, very much time at all ended up taking, like, way longer than I feel like they should have. And that, that feeling is really frustrating. Jeez. It's, it's nice to, like, hear those things, though, even though, like, they suck. <laughs> it, it, it's a process. It's frustrating. And it's terrible. That's one thing I gotta brace myself for. Because there's, like, a collection of short stories that I kind of unfinished by the end of the year to self-publish. And so now I'm kind of horrified of Kindle and the ebook thing that's inevitably going to happen now. That's going to be fun. <laughs> For what it's worth, I did that back like in 2011 or 2012. And from what I hear, it's a lot better now. That's kind of reassuring. Hopefully I can get a couple people to like also help me proofread. Um, I'm still pretty close with like my high school like librarian who like just loves reading everything. So hopefully I can get her to give me some like feedback and be like, you messed up some stuff here. This is because I think she used to be, I can't remember if she was an English teacher or a theater teacher before she was a librarian. So I think she's pretty good about like structure and grammar and sentences. Yeah, uh, you should have a pretty good net you can fall back on. It, it'll be all right when you get there. I hope so. I just, I just want people to read things and to like get more stuff out there because I hold on to things way too long and then I just ruminate and decide like should I just restart this and like make it a whole new thing so at like some point I eventually have to just be like they're done they need to be out there because I've had this short story like collection kind of written for the past like three years and every now and then I'm like maybe I should tweak this part or maybe I should tweak this part but it's pretty much done, and I should probably just accept that at this point. <laughs> it's hard not to feel like there's stuff that you can go back and make better, though. Yeah. Like, I still feel that way with my book with, like, a ton of different stuff in it. I'm like, oh, well, I could have done this, or I could have added in this. But at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't change, like, the major focal point of your, of your piece. And, like, 99% of the changes that you would make would be good, but not, like, life-altering, mm -hmm. I guess. At least that's how I look at it, because it helps me sleep at night. <laughs> it's like, if I don't add this part, it, it wouldn't have made it significantly better and, like, the bestseller it could have been. That's, like, the horrifying thing, where it's, like, sometimes when I'm, like, editing and I, like, cut something out, and it's like, but was this, like, the good part? Was this, like, the quote that, like, people would have, like, come back to? And then it's just like, no, just delete it. Just leave it and never come back. <laughs> Yeah, there's things that I wrote back in the day that I thought were, like, awesome that nowadays I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> that was trying real hard. I, it took a real big swing there. And then there's things that I really liked back then that like, I get to now, and I'm like, yeah, that was pretty fucking cool, and I'm all right with that. <laughs> but, like, back then, all of it looked good to me. So, you know, yeah, what, what can you do? The early poems that I posted, like, um, like between freshman and sophomore year, of college that's what I like started posting a lot of poems on like Instagram and Twitter and stuff and those first ones were literally just like 
two to four lines. And I thought that, like, those two to four lines were so profound. Um, and, like, now just, like, reading them, I'm like, they're so cringy. Why, oh, why uh, were these things that I did? But I like being able to see them and having them out there to just be like, growth is a thing. You are not here anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree with that for the most part, except my, my situation. Uh, I wrote a song for a girl when I was 12 oh and gave God. it to her. And uh, it was bad. But I, I had purged it from my memory because you take that stuff and you just like let it flow out. And like we had like, she's her mom is a friend of my mom so like i knew her and we we had like dated for a bit in like middle or early high school but like nothing big and at one point i'm like over at her house and she like has a, a box full of like notes and she pulls out the one that i wrote and i did steal it back from her and burn it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> she was real mad but uh the level of embarrassment I felt from that, I did not think was humanly possible for me. I'm a pretty laid-back dude. That's, like, the dramatic version of, like, deleting your old, like, YouTube videos. Because, like, there's some pretty pretty bad stuff that I made. I used to have, um, I think I'm on my third YouTube channel. This one I've had consistently since, like, 2009. And, like, every now and then I, like, private some videos. But, like, the first two YouTube channels, I'm glad that I think they're deleted now. One of them might still exist, but one of them is, like, completely gone. But, um, no fourth grader should make vlogs. That's all I can say. It, it was a mistake. <laughs> Everything about that past was a mistake. <laughs> when I was, uh, around the same age, so, so, like, somewhere between, like, fourth and eighth grade, I don't remember exactly, uh, I got an old video camera from my dad that recorded in like black and white and made cassette tapes and i'd use that with my friends to make videos and that's how i found out that i wasn't meant to be a director <laughs> but and being able to get rid of that stuff is like a unique trait from uh myself and to some degree yourself because you're a bit younger than me right uh, i am 21 almost 22 yeah so i'm 27 going on 28 in august so like the early part of my middle school high school career can be washed away and the depths of the internet never to be found mm -hmm. there's also like this accumulating fear with new writers because anytime you put any product anywhere on the internet it's there for forever now um like i had a zanga uh, it was a blog mm -hmm. internet system before myspace was a thing really um and i made a ton of journal posts from like 2002 to 2006 that were like really really cringy um, but then the internet came through and purged a Lozenga and you can't find that anymore. So I'm like, oh, cool. But now if you go post something on Facebook, like it just lives forever. Yeah. And that there's like a, there's a like certain and very real fear with that, especially when it comes to like how aggressive people can be with, uh, with bullying and sometimes with like how, how whole audiences can gang up on like one person. It can be really easy to like get buried by a bunch of stuff that you made that you weren't really happy about in the past. And there's a really real fear associated with that for some people. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't be like detrimental if like things still existed, but I know I have stuff from like, um, I think I have old like live journal posts that I think don't exist anymore. I think my MySpace was lost to the void. My deviant art has been lost to the void, but I had a lot of journal posts on like a lot of things, which probably are very strange and like weird of like I don't know just like early internet to like 
depressed teenager. Like, there was a lot of, like, time in between there that I'm glad kind of got lost. Because who knows what that could be. But yeah, definitely for, like, a lot of people who were, like, edgy teens. I I know that's, like, a big worry for some people. Um, I have a friend who is now a teacher who um, was one of those, like, edgy people in, like, his youth. And he always, like, worries because he doesn't know his, like, old MySpace login. And it still exists if you, like, look up his name. And he doesn't know how to, like, get rid of, like, his old posts on there. So he always worries about, like, a parent finding them. So that's, like, a genuine fear for, like, people these days that, like, the internet history exists forever. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely emailed MySpace and got all of my credentials back from the email that didn't exist anymore. Just because I wanted to, like, log in and be like, is this, am I good? (laughs) Is this, is this all right? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the friends that I had on the internet back then, too, um, the internet wasn't connected as much, as well as it is today. Um, so a lot of the people that I knew back then kind of faded away. But like now, you meet people on the internet, and you have partnerships for like ten plus years. Because having friends on the internet is so like low maintenance as well. There's not like the risk of hanging out with somebody and getting like annoyed with them when you can just disappear from the internet for weeks at a time. There's a a group of people on Tumblr who uh, we all kind of like follow each other on like. Instagram and like Tumblr and um, a couple other things but like we all used to be study blurs back in like high school because we were all like those high achieving high school kids who were trying to get into like Ivy League schools um only Leela ended up getting in she ended up going to well it's not an Ivy League but it's Stanford so I feel like that counts um and so like we all like went through like our things where like we were like those high achieving people And, like, we all went through, like, starting college together and just, like, kind of, like, keeping each other up to date, going through, like, all of us not being as good students in college and, like, going through just, like, phases of our lives and, like, growing up together, which is just wild because we, like, all knew each other as, like, sophomores in high school. Now we're all either about to graduate or have graduated. So it's very, very interesting, like, having, like, groups of, like, internet friends that you can just continue on with and just check in every now and then on yeah it's definitely nice to feel connected to people yet still not pressured by that connection i I really like having um 20 plus discords that i like follow (laughs) and just like checking in every now and then being like how's this group of friends doing you good okay i'll see you guys in like three months and then just like continuing back because i feel like um even more than, like, some of, like, my real-life friends, I end up checking on, like, internet friends every now and then. Because I'm just like, how have you been? You, you were fun. I, I enjoy talking to you. And, like, sometimes, like, real-life friends, there's, like, that obligation of, like, I haven't seen this person in a long time. And then they're gonna, like, bring up the fact that, like, we haven't seen each other in a long time. And I can't hang out. Or, like, we're different when we hang out in real life. <laughs> Which is... Also a weird thing where like you get back together with like old friends and then you don't interact the same way It's It's just maybe just growing up and like getting more distant being like we still text talk the same way But we don't talk talk the same way Yeah, I mean as you grow up especially from friends that you like had from your hometown and they go off to college And like you go off to college or you go off and do your own thing and you both like start to develop cultures from outside of your hometown 
it can be kind of difficult to reconcile those things like once you start talking to that person again because you're essentially developing into like different people yeah. but with online people like your online voice tends to i think stay the same at least it did for me like for a lot of people that i know i've always been the same dude that i am there's a couple people that i know from like the neopets days from like 10 plus years ago and then there's a couple people that i know from uh uh, another game that I used to play, and we've been in the same friend group for like eight years now. Wow. I, I wish I still knew people from Neopets days. Oh my god, if I could go back to my very first like online like experience that I recall, I was in like, I was probably like four, and I made an AOL account to be a part of the Mary Kate and Ashley fan club. Uh, so if I knew people from that, to this day that would be pretty amazing but alas i do not remember my aol account <laughs> but that would I, I wish that i could go that far back that sounds so cool yeah um i had one friend that i was really close to for like years and years from neopets and i went out to see her in college and we hung out for a week or so um which is pretty cool because she lives like all the way in chicago um and i just happened to have like a free week so we hung out for a bit um and it's just kind of surreal to put your internet life and your real life together in, like, one swift moment. But, yeah, it's nice to... The internet's a great place. I'm always a huge advocate for the internet. Yeah. That's one thing I'm really excited about, about RTX. Then, like, just the fact that I know that, like, a couple people that I know from either, like, my Discord or, like, Twitter or from, like, the SB7 Discord, like, they're all going to be there. Like, we're going to get to, like, physically be like, you're a real person. Um, and like having like that happen is going to be really cool. And then, cause even, um, when I went to the let's play live events, uh, or not the let's play live, the RTX live stuff, um, back in February, uh, getting recognized by like two people was just like, really like, oh wow. Like I've seen your username before. Like this is, you exist in, like, this other plane, which was just really cool, and then getting to talk to someone who I'd only seen on, like, Instagram and, like, Twitter was, like, very, very surreal moment, and it's just, like, it, it is really weird putting, like, those two worlds together. Yeah, I'm not a huge crowds person, but, like, all the conventions that they have for different events and stuff like that, I think those are, like, super awesome for getting the community together and making things feel, like, a little bit more real and, and making people feel a little bit more, like, welcome at and at home with each other than they normally feel. Yeah. I can't remember which panel I was at at RTX last year. I think it was for SP7 when I was waiting in line. No, it wasn't SP7. It might have been Meg Turney. Um, but, uh, since I had, like, gone into RTX knowing, like, nothing, and basically just, like, knowing SP7 and, like, Meg was, like, all I knew, and everything else I was just kind of, like, wandering into, I ended up sitting in line next to a bunch of, like, high schoolers, and they pr all pretty much explained, like, the basics of, like, what RT is, and they explained, like, Ruby to me, and they explained, like, just, like, a bunch of things to me, and, like, um... It, it was really nice because I felt very welcomed by these kids who were, like, cosplaying, like, really intense about, like, the RT stuff. And just, like, feeling welcomed as, like, a noob. Um, and not feeling like, oh, you don't, you don't know about this stuff. You're not really, like, a fan. It was very much more like, you're a part of this. You just haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah, I think that, especially with the younger generation, the one, like, directly after uh, where I am, I guess. 
Um, I feel like they're a lot better about bringing people into scenes. Like, they don't see scenes as being competitive against each other, but they just see people as like, oh, this person might be interested in my hobby. They're a lot more inclusive than I think the, the generations before them were. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Meg Turney, though, um, with the event that happened with her and Gavin earlier in this year, with a fan, like, stalking them to their house or whatever, um, do you have any, like, fears about your presence on the internet and how, like, those implications have gotten bigger and bigger in different parts of the scene? Like, do you feel at all like you need to keep parts of your life off the internet for safety? Uh that's an interesting question. I definitely thought about that. I, th- I think a little bit more when I was younger. Um, that was originally why I went by like a different screen name, but than like my actual like last name. Um, but now I just go by it for like different reasons. Um, but that's the reason why I haven't uh, necessarily uh, sent out like art yet is because I'm like, oh, I should probably have a PO box and not have like my actual physical address on something. Or I should, um, what is it? If I ever, like, mention my classes, uh, I make sure that I'm just mentioning, like, a general, like, subject of something instead of, like, technically, like, being, like, this is a class. Because it's really easy to, like, figure out, like, a course schedule and, like, actually figure out where, like, someone will be at, like, my campus. Um, Yeah. And... Yeah, just, like, general things every now and then it, like, stumbles across my mind. But it's usually just, like, try not to give out your address, your location when you're alone. Uh, yeah, it, real names you can't really hide anymore these days. So, kind of accepted yeah. that one. <laughs> it's a lot harder to hide information, like, in, in general. Um, one of my roommates, he was on Tinder, and he was talking to a girl. And, like, just from having casual conversations with her, he, like, had her Instagram, has her, like, full name on it, and then, like, where she lives, and where she works, and all this other stuff. And so, like, he talked to her about it, like, when he first saw her. He was like, you know, all this stuff is, like, super accessible for you, right? And she had no idea. And I think even for people, like, tech-savvy, like us, um, it's still just harder to keep that stuff private, because so much of that stuff is already on the internet in, like, one way or another. Like, I stopped worrying about my name when my book came out because, like, at that point, there really wasn't much that I could do about it. Um, At the same time, like, I don't really think that I have the magnitude of being nervous about people finding me that, like, most girls do, to be honest, just because, like, that's how the, that's how it usually goes, is girls tend to get harassed, like, way more often than guys do. Um, But it's still something in the back of my mind, and I know if it's in the back of my mind, it's probably, like, in the forefront of others. Mm -hmm. I've definitely only had, um, I I feel like most people that, like, I interact with online are, like, pretty good, sane people. Um, I've had, like, two interactions with people that were kind of shifty, um, online, which concerned me a little bit, and those people were blocked. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, I, I feel like, yeah, generally for, like, a lot of, like, females online, it's, very hard and um thinking of like that meg turney and like gavin thing was like i I was just thinking about it yesterday because i was thinking about rtx and um because i was really worried about like this year coming up just because i knew the way that um they did security last year they didn't have anything going into panels that you had to pass through you only had to go through security check if you went onto the expo floor 
so I was already, like, concerned. I was like, are there going to be metal detectors this year? Is there going to be, like, more bag checks? Are they going to, like, make sure that that's, like, a full thing for, like, going into the convention? I still don't know if that's a thing yet. Um, I'm still worried about it. And, because uh, I know that now if you go to, like, uh, stage five where they have a lot of the Rooster Teeth, like, live stuff, like, they have, um, what is it, on the spot, uh, they change those security details for like that after that incident happened like immediately um because it used to be really easy to get onto stage five it used to be you literally just like drove in you went straight into a building and you were there um but now they actually have like you have to wait until like this time and they get you in but uh you can't have any bags in you either have to like plan ahead or like leave it in your car and, um, what is it? They have metal detectors now that, like, you have to, like, there's a guy who, like, scans you up and down. And then, of course, it's still, like, you have to go through the process before you actually get to where the talent is. Um, so that made me feel much better about them. But, yeah, it's definitely, like, a real thing that you got to be, yeah. like, safe about. Because <laughs> the thing with uh, Christina Grimmie happened, like, two years ago yeah. or so. I don't know. I, I assume you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and that was, like super high profile and she was doing like huge concerts around uh the u.s and then the thing with uh like i was saying with uh gavin and beg um it's just becoming kind of scary in a way i guess uh, yeah the past couple of years have just been because uh, uh, i was thinking about like the christina grimmy one just like hit so hard because it was just like a meet and greet like after a thing it was just like so casual it should have been fine uh the Gavin and Meg one is, like, horrifying because that's, like, their house, um, which is, like, a greater scale of terrifying. And then uh, that Ariana Grande concert that was in London was also, like, a horrifying thing because that was, like, mostly, like, teenagers where it's, like, yeah. people were, like, trying to, like, hurt probably more, like, a general, like, people and not her, but that's still, like, traumatic that, like, that event happens around you. Um and so, like, even in, like, convention areas, like, I know that they have to, like, do those kind of, like, security things just to make sure that everybody's safe. But you never know where the crazies are. <laughs> That's... You really don't, but, uh... <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> even not being in Austin right now, I get, like, notifications from, like, things that happen on campus or, like, near campus. And so there was just a burglary yesterday, um where someone got, like, held up at gunpoint with, like, two rifles in their apartment. And it's just, like, that just happens to, like, yeah, normal they, people. <laughs> they just diverted a, uh, they had a prom that was going on in town center in my city for one of the schools, and some guy tried to buy a ticket who wasn't supposed to be there. And then they found him in the hotel, like, on the third floor with somebody else, and they had, like, a loaded assault rifle and were, like, ready to storm the prom just so happened to like slip and they caught him and got a search warrant and pulled him out before they shot everybody Jeez. yeah it's a scary world I anyways need a lighter note to transition to man <laughs> that was a little little dark <laughs> so what do you think uh, is going to be the first project that you really want to commit time to once you're out of college i really want to publish a book <laughs> I want to make sure that I finish more stories. So, like, I want to f try and publish, like, my first book after I graduate. Um, 
because I should be changing my actual like legal name in like the next year. Like when I graduate, I was just like for technical reasons for like all the school stuff that's just like under like my actual name. I was like, I, I don't want to deal with changing any of that until after I graduate. So it's actually going to be Ashley Robles afterwards, uh, which is just going to be a lot more convenient for my life. And then I'm going to actually try and have this book done within the next year and go through like the editing and publishing process and start trying to do that once every like two years like continually have like projects that I finish and so try and finish like another book after that because plays I feel like are more of like a passive thing that I can do I like writing them when poetry and writing books are frustrating because they're more like a visual thing and I feel like they're just a different kind of work that I can do while other things are happening and that doesn't need like my full focus on if that makes sense no that doesn't make sense do you feel like you're gonna publish any because you're doing a writing month in July right Mm -hmm. Uh, do you feel like you're gonna publish what you come up with there or no uh, I forgot that that's a thing that NaNoWriMo happens. Uh, <laughs> that that's, like, what it's for. Like, that people, like, have, like, competitions about, like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, like, publish this thing that I write in, like, this month. Maybe I'll actually do that for November if I can, like, continually write something. Because I keep debating about how I want to do July with the writing month. I'm, like, do I want to just make sure that I finish, like, 200 pages of, like anything like I'll have it be like a book or a play or like poetry or like just a lot of writing that I do that I want to have finished in that month do I want some of that to be revisions do I want some of that to just be an entire book that I just like sit down and write a lot of chapters for and so I keep bouncing back and forth I should probably go with the chapter thing but we'll see what I end up actually deciding on. But yeah, that whole like actually like publishing something and like starting from like scratch, that was a little horrifying for me. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, as a Twitch streamer, do you feel a any sort of weirdness with the way that you connect with your fans? Like them being uh, more familiar with you and like more uh, used to your conversation, do you feel like it makes it difficult to connect to them because you don't feel like the same sort of familiarity that they feel. I feel like I'm trying to bridge the gap. <laughs> I feel like I'm attempting to. This is part of it because I feel like a lot of people who are like in the Discord are people who also do like creative things who like I could talk to on the podcast to like actually interact with. And I like doing that on like Twitter too. And like when people like DM me, I always try and like have like a good back and forth with everybody so that I can like try and understand who everybody is. But yeah, people who like don't talk a lot or who just like come in every now and then, I'm like, I want to know more about you. Who are you? Um, Cause yeah, I, I definitely like do feel that like disconnect every now and then, but like it, it's hard because I always want to just be internet friends with everybody. <laughs> So it's like, I I don't want there to be that gap. I want it to just be like, hey, we're both here. We're hanging out. This is what it's always going to be like. Um, Because I don't see myself as someone who's ever going to be like a big streamer or like a big YouTuber or like anything. So it's like, I don't think it'll ever get too crazy. 
I feel like we'll all still be able to hang out for a significant amount of time. I, I don't think I'm going to have some kind of like crazy growth because I do too many things and people who have crazy growth do f focus things generally. Yeah, I, I had DM'd you on like Twitter, I think a year before you started streaming and you wrote like a really nice response to me. Um, so it made me think of like how exhausting is it to, to come up with like a personal response to most people that message you? Because I'm assuming that you do. You seem like the type of person who like genuinely responds to people. Um, do you ever get overwhelmed with that amount of social interaction from people that like you either don't know or don't know well? Sometimes. Just when, um, what is it? E either when it's just like casual, like what are you doing? Or like, how are you things? Just because I'm like, I feel like I'm very, like, vocal about, like, what I'm, like, constantly doing. So I'm like, do I have anything to share sometimes? Because I feel like I put a lot of stuff, like, out there. Um, but I always want to make sure that, like, I'm just asking other people, like, how, how they're doing. And, like, I'm generally interested in, like, what other people are up to. Because it's usually pretty interesting and pretty different from, like, my own life. Um... Uh, especially with my anthropology class I'm like I'm just interested in like what other people like do and how they interact with the world so it's like genuinely like when I get like a message I'm usually just like curious about other people I don't know I, I don't know if other people realize that I'm also like very interested in like I'm like how do you function as a person because you see how I function as a person sometimes so I'm just trying to see how they also work it's usually pretty okay it's only if, like, I get, like, a lot of messages in one day. Um, that's only happened, like, twice before, I think. Um, it was the first time I started getting a lot of... Uh, when people really started noticing my comments on SP7 videos, I got a lot of messages for, like, a solid, like, three months just constantly DMing me if I worked for RT, if I worked for SP7, who the hell was I, you're really attractive, you're really ugly... Those were a lot of things that just happened for, like, a solid, like, three months, which was just, like, crazy. And, like, now I don't get those things anymore, which is great. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like everyone generally knows that, like, I exist. And that's just a thing that we've all decided to agree upon. And so now I just get, like, normal messages. But I actually, I feel like everything's, like, fine now. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, yeah. I, I used to stream a lot, like, way before Twitch was out. Uh, it was a place called Livestream. And back then it was a community, like the biggest streamer out there that I remember had like 300 viewers and I was like, holy shit, 300 people. And I would stream to an audience of like six to 20 people, which back then was like pretty sizable. But now you go on Twitch and there's like millions of people. Mm -hmm. And so whenever there's that many people too, there's like such a disconnect from like usernames to personal responsibility. Like when you're on live stream, uh, even if you went to different chats, you still pretty much saw like similar amounts of people because there were probably only like a couple thousand people that watched live streaming at any point. Mm -hmm. um, but now with there being like so many people on Twitch, it's so easy to be like a complete shitbag and then like abandon your identity and move on to something else immediately. And I think with that, we've seen like the culture shift a little bit. Um, how do you, as someone who keeps your chat generally like pretty positive, um, what do you think is the best approach to maintaining that? I think just keeping it very much, like, community-ish instead of, like... Because there are some streams where it's, like, um, the comments are just kind of talking at the person. And I feel like, generally, like, my chat, it's very much, like, 
everyone's talking to each other. And I feel like that's a better way to, like, kind of self-regulate things is to, like, if the chat generally feels uncomfortable with something, it's probably something that I'd also feel uncomfortable with. And so everyone is also just pretty good about being like, this person probably shouldn't be here. And, like, or, like, that's a little over the line with that thing. Um, so I feel like that's the best way to, like, keep that kind of thing. Whatever your tone is, I feel like you should just make sure that your audience is aware of that and that everyone's kind of cool with where that space is. <laughs> yeah. Shoutouts to Ronnie for always being the first to catch those things because yeah. I always miss them. <laughs> Ronnie's just <laughs> over there with the little, like, moderator sword, like, ha, ah, stop. <laughs> Ronnie's so good. Shoutout to Ronnie. One time, Ronnie, like, messaged me about doing, like, captions on videos and, like being a moderator and just like anytime that she thinks that like she like went over the line for something and I'm like no you're fine that, that was totally okay <laughs> so it's like yeah okay, people in your chat are usually like really great and supportive but it's still like an issue of anxiety for me a another thing I don't know if it's about just what everyone does or if it's just like young people tend to be like passionate about things like our internet cultures and especially like I'm into these things and I'm very into these things is what it feels like, or I'm just in a lot of hyper intense communities. Uh, but it's like, if I like something, I'm probably like a ride or die for it. I, I don't usually be like, I casually like these things. I'm usually like, these people, I will fight for them. If you are mean to them, I will fight you. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh I'm a pretty diehard Coheed and Cambria fan. Like, that's my big band that I'll, that I'll swing for every time. And so every once in a while, I'll hear somebody just drag them for no reason. And I get kind of, like, tilted about it. <laughs> but um, I've learned to, like, just, just let it go. It's hard when somebody disrespects, like, an artist or art that you like. Because it's kind of insulting the value of the opinions that you have. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a direct line you can draw from somebody like dissenting against something you think is really well done and just saying that it's garbage and dog trash. And you're like, well, this is something that I really value because it's very close to my core personally. So it's very easy to like correlate that with being attacked personally. Yeah, it's especially like not just like uh, like a taste thing. Like every now and then I'll be like... Um... Because people always say, like, it's, uh, you either, like, the killers, Coldplay, or Muse, like, they're, like, the same, just, like, general, like, there's a sound that, like, all of them have that is just kind of there, and, like, their music doesn't have, like, a ton of substance to it, and I, I love the killers, and I'm, like, offended by that, like, anytime people, like, talk about those three groups, like, they're all the same thing, um, and... So, like, a taste thing, like, every now and then I get, like, a little bit angry about, but especially if, like, people are being, like, actively attacked on the internet. Like, I can't remember what it was. I think it was, it was the Logan Paul video at the very beginning of the year. Um, people were being really mean to, like, Reyna and then Jimmy Wong around that time, just because they were Asian and they had, like, opinions on it. Uh, and the way that he was acting in Japan, and, like, when people yeah. were being really mean to them, I was, like, getting really pissed off at other people, and I had to, like, calm myself down a little bit, and I was just, like, you guys are incredible for, like, having to put up with this, and, like, not being this 
constantly angry and like having like a normal like response to people that's like yeah. not heated <laughs> especially with like I, I didn't see the other video but i saw Raina's video uh when she posted it and i thought it was really important to the conversation because it adds in cultural context to what happened because when something happens somewhere you have to appreciate like both what had happened according to you and what had happened according to like where you are and he's a visitor in this country and was being like generally disrespectful anyways and she was just showing through examples of like why that kind of behavior isn't normally tolerated there like it would be here like in new york city you can go be a jackass and kind of just blend in and like streamline yourself out of the city and like nobody would remember you because new york city is like a busy place but with like how respectful the culture is over there and just kind of like building the picture for people who didn't understand and like the responses to her were like just absolute like shit and just like attacking her as a person and like attacking her looks and attacking her race and it was just kind of uh eye-opening to me as like wow there if i had any doubt before there is definitely just no having conversations with certain people around things yeah it, they just it's so frustrating that there are people like that sometimes. Like, it is just... I'm glad that a lot of communities that are, like, men don't act like that very often. It's usually only when things hit, like, a trending page or, like, a different kind of audience wanders into those kinds of communities. Which is just, like, a general thing about very popular, like, YouTubers and stuff that, like... I feel like I gravitate less to a lot of really, really popular people these days just because their communities are kind of toxic a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I tend to like the smaller creators these days because everyone's kind of more like, hey, we're just chilling. This is the people that we generally talk to in the comments and on Twitter, and we can actually have discourse about stuff and not be crazy. Yeah. I think some of it has to do with the internet being the wild west of like Lord of the Flies era shit where you have a bunch of kids who are unsupervised just going around and plotting with each other. Yeah. And I mean it sounds silly because you've got a bunch of like 12 year olds sitting around talking shit about people like twice their age but like the parents don't understand the content enough to be able to access and like filter through it with them and like teach them how to be decent people. So they're teaching each other how to be people. <laughs> and essentially like they're going to be fine at some point because kids are just mean, like, in general. And, like, some of them are going to be, like, mean for forever. But most of them are going to be like, oh, oh, this isn't how to behave. Mm -hmm. Not at all. And they'll come back around. But I think as, like, people our age who get older and have kids and are more, like, accessible to technology and able to, like, follow up on what their kid is watching and, like, the kind of content. Like, um, you're familiar with Ninja on Twitch, right? Mm -hmm. He's recently had a really big push to go, like, more politically correct with his streams and like cut down on his swearing and things like that to be more accessible to kids because of how broad his audience is and that's brought in sponsorships for him so i think that like where we saw things originally go from being very like politically correct on tv to being very much like the free world of the internet to streamers being like oh i can just swear all the time and say whatever the fuck i want and nothing matters to going back to oh there's sponsorship and brand deals and these people really don't want to be associated with toxic internet personalities that they can't tell if they're gonna like flip and start saying some racist stuff like three minutes from now. so people are really gonna start to like clean up their image and i think parents are gonna get really more involved so i think i think thankfully that'll be a thing that we move away from eventually hopefully yeah. i'm optimistic i don't know yeah and just because you mentioned the fact that um what is it seeing what like kids watch 
is one thing that I find very interesting, just because I've thought about, um, what is it? Because my cousin has, like, a baby now, and she's, like, about to be two. And I've thought about, um, because she's, like, always watching stuff on, like, Netflix. She's watching, like, her little TV shows, or, like, she watches, like, her videos on YouTube. And I just, like, wonder, I'm like, what is this, like, regulation that, like, people talk about now these days? Because, like, kids grow up, like, with devices. And, like, I remember being on a computer at the age of two, completely unsupervised. I was literally, I have been on the computer my entire life, and no one has ever been watching me. (laughs) And, like, I just think about the fact that, like, now people are, like, more on it all the time. Like, it's more, like, on your phones, and, like, people have more, like, laptops, and it's not just, like, the big box computer that you have in, like, a back room of your house. Like Right, there's more implied privacy, because you could just take that and go hide somewhere. Yeah. Like, with a desktop, you were, like, in the middle of the living room, and you're not exactly going to watch somebody, like, doing something real bad when your mom's standing right behind you. Yeah. So, like, these days I wonder, like, um, what is it? People who do say, like we shouldn't have our kids watch, like, these things, like, we should make sure that, like, they, um, are watching, like, these kinds of things, or, um, people who say, like, oh, it doesn't really matter, because, like, I didn't have, like, that kind of regulation growing up, and I kind of, like, learned as I, like, I fell into, like, holes of the internet that, like, I probably shouldn't have been in, like, really young, and I learned things way too fast, but that's another story. Uh, I feel like that was fine in its own way, and, like, same thing with, like, my family. My family didn't really filter things with us growing up. We watched the TV shows that, like, our parents watched when we were little, so it's, like, we were watching, like, Friends and Grey's Anatomy as, like, elementary school kids, and, like, things that, like, we didn't understand at first, like, it just kind of, like, passively happened where it's like, oh, we're aware of those things now. Um, and it was never like, you can't watch this thing. This thing is inappropriate. Guard your eyes. Uh, we just all kind of watched rated our movies as, like, three-year-olds. And that was... We were kind of fine. Yeah, um, my dad was super tech-savvy, and he, like, helped build me my computers and stuff. So he was really involved with, like, what I was doing on the internet for the most part. Um, but even then, I don't really feel like it had much of an impact on, like, what I would have done anyways. I I think a lot of that comes down to, like, more or less, like, my relationship with my mom and dad over, like, their involvement in my internet searching. Like, I was close to my parents and respected them, so I did things that I thought they would be okay with. Um, I have a friend who has a kid, or she's, like, a manager that works under me at work, and uh, her kid is, like, I think three or four. And he watches, like, people play games on YouTube. And, like, he doesn't own any consoles or anything. Like, he just watches other people play the games, and then he talks about them to his mom and stuff. And so she'll come in and talk to me about that kind of stuff every once in a while. But, like, she'll, like, sit through and watch some of the videos with him sometimes and and things like that. And I think that that's going to be, like, more common than it used to be where parents are involved. Like, my parents... Like, my dad was a huge gamer, and he doesn't care about Twitch at all. Like, that's not his wheelhouse. Just doesn't doesn't see the value in it, I think. Arby does, like, we've just never talked about it. But uh, he was really into food and, and cooking, because my grandfather was also into food and cooking. He owned a, a bunch of restaurants. So we had the, the uh, food network on, like, all the time in the house. And so I picked up on, like, advanced cooking techniques from having them on the TV, like, all the time. And I think that as um, 
we get older and you go into a generation that's grown up like watching Twitch, they'll be more comfortable watching that kind of stuff with their kids as well. And so that'll become more of an inclusive experience instead of kids wanting to access something and parents being like, well, I'm not interested in that, so I'm not going to participate. And I think that, like, as, as I kind of, like, grew into cooking based on, like, how close I was with my family and, like, what they watched and how they accessed it, I think that technology will become that way for us once we get older and, like, our generation has kids and they'll be able to connect to their kids. Because it won't be like, oh, you don't understand what's going on. Like, no, I grew up with the internet. Like, this is... This was a thing, like, when I was growing up. This is all I've known. And so instead of being on the outside talking into a kid, you'll have people approaching on, like, the same level of plane for conversation. Like, hey, I know what it's like to grow up on the internet and have people say mean shit to you that you don't understand. And let's talk about those feelings. Instead of just being like, we'll just turn it off and fucking walk away. Like, what are you doing? Like, people understand how to process those things easier, and they're going to get better and better about it, I think. That's a really, like, hopeful perspective about it, just being... The fact that, like, we have grown up with these things, and, like, of course, like, they are gonna, like, shift and change, and, like, we might not know, like, what is this new Instagram TV the kids are using these days? Like, that new thing that popped up. Like, my mom still sends me, like, cat and, like, dog videos on Instagram. That's, like, all she knows. She doesn't follow anybody except for, like, Ellen and, like to like dog pages and everything else is just like recommended on instagram and she just like sends me those dms constantly throughout the day um because that's like all she knows she has cooking videos too but like every now and then like she does like dip her toes into like the real like internet world i can get her to watch like some youtube um she went to vidcon with me in like 2013 only knowing SourceFed. Uh, because I had her watch SourceFed and Phil, like, constantly, and I was like, hey, these are the people that I like. I think you'll really like them, too. You like politics and news stuff. And so we did have, like, that relationship with, like, those kinds of things. And she really enjoyed VidCon because she knew people that she was, like, seeing and, like, some people that were performing. She's like, hey, I saw that person's cover that you sent me one time, and they're, like, on a stage performing now. And so it's like... It, it is cool and like you do have that thing with like a parent that hopefully now I'm like oh well my kids watch YouTube that'll be such a bonding moment or are they gonna watch like Logan Paul vlogs they won't be allowed to watch those kinds of things but like is that what they're gonna want to watch or are they gonna watch a lot of like beauty tutorials and like not gaming like what is that gonna mean to me if like they're gonna watch exclusively Fred and the Annoying Orange oh my god and that's gonna be it <laughs> Hopefully it'll be a phase. Everyone has to go through the phase. Um, but yeah, it's like a, it's like when a boys used to grow up and play baseball with their dad. It's gonna be like that. Only it's gonna be like sitting around watching YouTube together. I think we'll go from having families that are fragmented through technology, from having half of them watching TV to half of them watching the internet, to having people who like begin to enjoy the same kind of digital content. At least I hope so. I have hopes. I'm like, now that, like, my friends are, like, starting to have kids, I'm like, I'm gonna have to start, like, polling people and ask, like, what do you watch with your children? Oh, what, do, what do they do on their own time? Are you aware of what they do on their own time? What kind of content do they enjoy? And so, I might have to do my own anthropological research, because this is the, this is the kind of thing that, like, I do with people. Like, my baby cousin, like, was, um, uh, and she was, like, learning how to speak. I'm always, like, keying in on, like, linguistic things, too. And I'm like, oh, I remember this in my class. She's in this phase of, phase of like, the speech patterns and, like, et cetera. I, I'm so, like, I'm always trying to psychoanalyze people, which, again, I think is why, like, 
fascinated by the way that people work and culture and society and the way that we develop with technology is also a fascinating thing yeah i'd agree i think that uh, technology has really changed the way the personality types work too mm-hmm. like being that i'm typically like very socially awkward and avoidant like having a phone all the time gives me like a constant way to escape from a conversation regain my thoughts and rejoin it without having to like stare at people for long periods of time I definitely, I have like my places where I feel more comfortable to talk now in real life, I think, because I've had an outlet online. Like this has definitely helped me be better at like holding a conversation since I haven't really, um, (laughs) this is really embarrassing, but I had a breakup my freshman year of college with, um, he had been my best friend and we had dated for like a year and a half. And uh, when we broke up, he was, like, my only friend that I had in college. And I still have yet to, like, make a friend in college that has, like, lasted, like, outside of a class. Um, So it's, like, after that, I really have had, like, no one to, like, actually, like, talk to in Austin. So I've only had, like, online interactions and, like, talk to my mom otherwise on, like, a usual basis. So it's, like, having this to, like, speak and having like Twitch streams and like being able to not just like constantly be inside my head and like text talk to people has been like a better way to remember how conversations work between people. (laughs) Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense, especially like once you leave a long-term relationship, it's really hard to reestablish like who you are because you've built an identity like co-tangently with somebody else. Like, you guys are both together, and then you split everything, like, mentally in half, and then you have to, like, rebuild. I got out of a long-term relationship, well, like, a year and a half ago now, and the first, like, six months of it were me trying to figure out, like, what the fuck I do now with, like, all my spare time and, like, just in general. Like, I had to, like, refine who I was, because you get so lost in, like, what's going on in, in that circle that, like, all your normal friendships, like, die down a little bit and that's just natural but you also forget like all your communication up to that point with this person that you've built such a relationship with there's so many in jokes and there's so many like small little like things that you say to each other and then like you go into a conversation your brain autopilots into those things that no longer have any tangible meaning mm-hmm. it's like learning a language that doesn't exist anymore and having nobody to talk to about it it's like oh yeah we used to always talk about this thing or that like funny thing that happened or like oh, we used to always, like, watch this thing together, and then it's just like, don't have that anymore. It's like, who else do I have that kind of relationship with? And then it's just like, I don't have somebody else who knows me in that way, and it's just like a weird, weird void that does happen. And yeah, I definitely had a life crisis after that, um, that breakup. That's when I changed majors. All of that was happening, like, kind of the last couple months of the relationship. I was applying to, like, the film program... I was getting rejected from the film program. I was applying to the English department and I was like starting to write poetry again after not writing the entire time that we were together. I didn't write like anything for like that year and a half, which should have said something that I wasn't like creatively motivated when I was in that relationship. But somehow that didn't read to me at that time. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's- you shouldn't hold that against yourself either, though. I think everybody to some degree does that. Especially artists have a hard time like accessing at least their normal way of doing art when they're in a relationship. Because a lot of what happens there is in your most intimate moment. 
your most intimate moments are now shared with somebody else, like 90% of the time at least. And if you look back, like, yeah, you can say that you didn't write for like the year leading up to that, but you could also say that you were like busy because you were in school and stuff like that. So at the time, like those things don't turn out to be as big as when you turn around and you're like, oh shit, it's been that long. Like it was very recently that I looked back and I'm like, okay, well, my timeline for having my book series and then having this book that I'm working on on the side come out, uh, those timelines have all passed, like, three years ago. And, like, finding out where you are. Um, so, yeah, a similar thing happened to me, and I was, like, very upset about it. But uh, at the end of the day, like, you can't hold that against you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> past me thought what I was doing was all perfectly fine at that time. So I guess... They had just had different priorities back then. Whoever yeah. they were. And now you <laughs> you've you've learned and you know. Like if that never happened, it would have just happened the first you know, the next time. You would have just gotten wrapped in that and had that happen again. And it's a useful lesson to learn, I think. It was for me anyways. Mm-hmm. What would you think is the biggest disappointment you've had of your writing career so far? And then I'll tell you mine. Ooh. Biggest disappointment. Uh, God, just the fact that I feel like a majority of the time, I've only ever written one poem that I feel like was uh, conveyed in the way that I felt it. And like the way that like I heard it in my head, it was written straight and I never edited it after that. And it was exactly how I wanted it. And everything that I've written before then and since then, nothing else is ever exactly what I feel or like conveys the right emotion. I always feel like there's other words that I could have used and I still can use, but I just haven't found them yet. And so I'm just very unsatisfied with most of my poetry. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that feeling. I have, uh, I have one scene in my book that like I wrote in one spur and one night that I still remember. And I was like, this is the best thing that I've ever written. And I still feel that way. Um, And I just, trying to access that again and get like that level of quality somewhere else has been really frustrating. Uh, I think the biggest disappointment for me was uh, I went from, I I did a local horror convention um, where I sold books out of the convention and I was lined up across from uh, some other dude from North Carolina who was writing like a comic book and he had a bunch of like art prints and stuff like that. And he was constantly like ripping on me the whole time about like how his books and stuff and like more of a, how much more of a professional he was than me. Um, and I sold like four books while I was there and he didn't sell anything. And so he was just constantly getting tilted as he's sitting like five feet across from me, getting more and more mad every time that I sell something. <laughs> and uh, just seeing like how artists treat other artists, even in small communities for me, like that was really hard. Cause I'm like, fuck dude, like there's not that many people here for you to just try and be like, taking my like mental real estate mm-hmm. like and and then uh right after that i got a gig doing a article for a local newspaper for a hookah shop that they were like putting out and i was stoked about it because i had just come up with a story i had written the first like couple chapters to go in the paper and the paper just like never got off the ground and i remember being like so burned out by that because i'm like wow i did this book i had this lined up i had a comic book lined up that my uh artist had to drop back from the guy who did the art for my book he was working on um, promotional art and then he was doing the comic book he did the promotional art and then he had to step back and do like a full-time job so all those things kind of collapsed at once and i went from being like not a writer 
to a writer to once again like not a writer because like i had just had my book and that was pretty much all i had gotten to um so i just remember being like really discouraged back then because i was also really arrogant and thought that i was going to make it like real far yeah that's like one thing that i have really liked about like all of my writing workshops is the fact that everyone is really real about the fact that like writing is like not your main career pretty much ever uh like uh daria who's been my playwriting professor she's been playwriting for like the better part of the past like 10 years and like has actually put on productions but the main thing that makes her money is like not her plays it's not even like her grad fellowships she's like an ice skating tutor and that's like how her main like way that she makes money and then, um, what is it, my other poetry professor, Natalie Diaz, she's, like, a very famous poet, but she doesn't make nearly as much money off of, like, her books as she makes off of, like, teaching in universities, which is just, and it's, like, very much, like, being a writer is not so much that, like, it's gonna be able to support you and you're gonna be, like, this big famous person, because being famous as a writer is still, like, not famous, <laughs> unless you're, like, J.K. Rowling, you're, like, famous and there's like famous people and there's like being a writer uh, which is just and then there's like normal people famous writer celebrities and it's just like the tears aren't like you don't make it yeah. super high like when you get there it's very yeah. rare that you will be like super rich and successful and you're probably just gonna be like hey i put out a new book and a lot of people put out like dozens of books and people never hear about them and yeah fate <laughs> the biggest surprise for me when i was looking into doing publishing when i decided to self-publish was um, like there's local sections at barnes and noble so i looked into like their publishing program and like they feed through like thousands of applicants a year and then you get in and then you put your book on shelves and if it doesn't turn a profit you don't make any money and over 90 percent of them don't turn a profit so I'm like, oh, cool, even if I have my book in here on a shelf, if nobody buys it, then, like, it doesn't make any money either. So there's just, like, a dead-end wall for, like, a lot of writers. So you, it really has to be, like, a labor of love to some degree. Yeah. It's very much, I've decided to do this for passion and not for money, not for fame. It is just, I enjoy it. And the pain and the fun of all of it it is just i'm taking it all as what it is and accepting that <laughs> yeah that's where i'm at with like writing and my music and streaming when i do stream like so many people turn those things into careers like right off the bat and a lot of people do not make it as a career and uh, i don't think that i'm going to either but i'm gonna have a lot of fun while i'm trying <laughs> same i'm like Am I going to be a famous Twitch streamer? I, I doubt it. I'm not good at games. I'm not nearly as interesting as you have to be for those kinds of personalities. It's like, will I have fun with it and the change that I make off of it until then? Indeed. It's more than I've ever made on YouTube in like the past decade. So that's always nice. <laughs> so it's like, even if it's not a career, it's nice to have like, even like my poetry commissions. Those are so much fun, and it's like $3 that I make off of it. And it's like, that was enjoyable. I liked writing something. And same thing with streaming. It's like, do I like that I can make money off of it? Yes. But why am I actually doing it? Because it's fun, and I can chill with people. 
yeah, things have changed a lot to make the the recent landscape of technology easier to directly bring a product to a consumer and like tailor it to what they're looking for. So there's a lot more space for like niche artists and writers um, to make an impact, just maybe not like a career building impact as it used are more than so than it used to be anyways. Definitely. I, I like the fact that everyone can have like their own spaces and I don't understand why people fight as much about like, um, but is it like you're doing the same thing as me? So your competition, it's more like, why can't we all just kind of coexist and have our own things? Cause it's like, we're really not interfering with each other that much for like attention or anything. Yeah. It's hard to say. Like it's, I think a lot of it's just insecurities from people not like being comfortable with the product they put out. And for, for streamers, it's a really volatile business to be in if you build your career on it, because if you stop streaming for like a couple of days, like the drop off rate for people and viewership and returning is insane for the amount of time that you don't stream. So like those people who make it and are making money are usually working like 80 hours a week and streaming something like at least six days a week for six to eight hours. Unless they've got, like, other stuff going on on the side. I think Ninja said the other day, because he had, like, not streamed for, like, two days or something like that. And he said that he lost, like, 40,000 followers or something like that, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah. I don't understand how that works and how you can decide to, like, abandon someone after a day. Uh, but I guess that's the way that stats work. <laughs> Yeah, I think his account is a little bit inflated based off of like how popular he is and how popular botting was for a while. But they've really cracked down on that. So, like for the most part, like that's pretty accurate as to how devastating it is for like normal streamers to like go on vacation with their family for a week and come back and all of a sudden, oh, instead of having like thirty concurrent viewers, I only have like fifteen to twenty, and feeling like you just have to grind to get back to the same spot you were in like just a week ago, but you have to grind three months to get back there. That sucks so much. But yeah, it's the new landscapes and new ways of algorithms working. And, uh, what is it? I even got like notifications for someone who I hadn't watched like streams for in like a couple of months. And they like stop sending you notifications after a while. If you just haven't like tuned in in a bit. And it's like, I like to know when they're streaming. I just haven't wanted to watch in a while, but I might want to. <laughs> and so it's like, it, it's just weird the way that things work with, especially Twitch these days. I don't know how its history is going to be. I've been on YouTube for too long. So it's like, I know a lot about that and the way that all of it works. Cause I've been on it since like it started. Um, but Twitch is going to be interesting to see how that develops over time. Yeah, I definitely think things will look way different five to ten years than they look now. Yes. <laughs> Especially with, like, the regulations that they're kind of putting in with, like, what you can and cannot stream. Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, I think we'll watch people work more around that than they used to just work ignoring that. They're gonna work with, like, Twitch in mind a little more, I think. Like, namely, uh... A big one that happened recently was Persona 5 was a big story-based game that came out uh, last year, and uh, the company had like a really strict policy on banning streamers that were like showing parts of the game that were plot-centric, because mm -hmm. there was a, a it, it was a big story involving like the potential to be spoiled over like a 60 to 80 hour game, and then there were per certain parts of the game where like gameplay recording and stuff would cut off if you were on PS4 and using like PS4 share to go to Twitch. Oh, and I think that we'll see like more and more of like 
developers stepping up and being like forward with streamers like if you do this you're gonna get banned like there was a certain point in the game where they're like if you go past this day in progress you've got to stop streaming i think we'll see more of that that's that's a good point though because i was definitely looking at some games yesterday uh with like the steam like summer sale and because uh, i was like oh i could get this game for cheap and then i was like oh i've watched a gameplay of it already like oh and like those parts that are like uh there's only like very limited parts that are like action based and a lot of it was story and i'm like i've seen this already like there's no reason for me to buy it and play it and that's a very good point for like business wise there's just less people who might want to buy something if it's already they've already seen it it's already been done yeah definitely do you want to share any links or anything like your your book is it like you said it was like a kindle version yeah um it's available on amazon if you have kindle unlimited it's free so uh you know free stuff is always nice and then uh for people they can ch catch me at twitter.com slash chopsolutely or twitch.tv slash chopsolutely and i'll throw you a link for uh, the book in both of those oh. all right well thanks for talking <laughs> thanks for uh, agreeing to like talk on the podcast <laughs> it was fun man i appreciated uh, you having me on if you would like to be a future guest on the creative nonsense podcast please fill out the survey in the description below